The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week 10 College Football Betting Preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. How did, uh, how did your first experience of the Mac go? Because mine went horribly after uh, my manifesto. Almost everything I said in there was perfect. And uh, except for Ball State, just add it to the list of incredible, incredible beats that I've taken over the head this year what are you gonna do um how was maction for you it was good to have it back yeah i mean it's good to have it back but i mean here we are akron still sucks i'm glad i've been able to give my donation not ever donate to that again chuck martin voodoo magic and one possession game still going their way so we know what to do with miami of ohio and, and one possession spreads uh kent state looks good at spurts looks a little stalled in spurts so uh I thought it was a pretty exciting start. Toledo on fire. You know, I, I think we both wrote very positively of them. I know they were one of the ones I suggested in my piece, and I know you wrote good about them too. So it was good to see them get off to a good start. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of things that have happened for – I mean, I had plus three and a half, and I guess I knew I was doomed once it closed minus one uh, where I said it should be around. But but what are you going to do? We move on to the weekend, and we have a lot to get to. We have Pac-12 is back. Well, partly – Washington Cal is postponed. A lot of postponed games already this week. Hopefully there's no more. College football is getting weird. A lot of marquee games. We'll get to Friday Night Lights. But we're going to start with a Friday night game because it is one of the marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for Week 10. All right, we're going to start on Friday night. BYU at BetMGM is currently a three-and-a-half-point favorite, over-under 61-and-a-half. Boise State actually opened as a short favorite. This line has swung quickly. Over-under has ticked up as well. For me, it's really hard to get a read on. Boise State, they've played Utah State and Air Force, two teams that don't look like they're going to be very good this year. There's a big step up in competition. But who has BYU played this year? Nobody. We've said it before, they put Little Sisters of the Poor. But if you look at a lot of the advanced metrics, I mean, their offensive line, that's one of the biggest differences. If you look like adjusted sack right there, what, 70th or 80th last year? They're in the, the top 10 this year. Now, granted, they're not playing the greatest competition, but their offensive line returned everyone. And Zach Wilson, he has time, and he's making all the throws, and he can make all the throws, which is why he's a legit NFL pro prospect. And he's going up against a Boise defense that – Rebuilt both lines. Offensive line still struggles. Defensive line still struggles. Dimitri Washington, 
who is supposed to replace Weaver. He's out for the year. So I think that he's going to have all day to throw again, and there's no reason to believe he won't make all the throws. And on the other side of the ball, we still don't know who the quarterback is going to be for Boise. Is it Backmire? I, I don't know. Is it Sears, a four-star from USC? who looked pretty good last week. But, again, it's Air Force's secondary, which returned zero starters. And Air Force's secondary usually not the strong point of their team. So I look at this, and on paper, I think that there's a lot of matchups that favor BYU. But this is clearly, by far, from a talent perspective, the toughest uh, competition they will face all year. But this isn't your typical dominant Boise team. There are holes here. What do you see? This is a big game for Boise because they lost uh, BYU last year, which was directly responsible for keeping them out of the New Year's Six. Uh, so Boise's, you know, heavily motivated to win this game. But, you know, I wrote the pace report for Action Network out on Monday or Tuesday, and I took an over in this game at 58 and a half. And it's not that these teams are fast. They're not. They're 80th and 68th in seconds per play. But it's the explosiveness that was just crazy to me while I was watching Air Force take a 14-7 lead and then essentially Boise just blowing them the hell out. Uh, and, you know, if you look at the other side of the ball, Boise's D is 87th against the explosive pass, and they're 88th in defensive finishing drives. What does that mean to me? BYU is going to be able to do whatever they want through the air uh, when they get past the 40-yard line. Uh, I mean, it's just very – BYU's top 10 in the country in offensive finishing drives. So I took an over in this game early in the week. Uh, at 58 and a half, you know, this is something that I projected 67. So I would say at the current number, I would still take an over here. I do like Boise outright in the game. I know Gunnar Romney's back. He's healthy. I think Zach Wilson will have a big night. Uh, I just wonder if Kalani Sataki is going to elect to attack the Boise front seven to burn clock to keep Hank Bachmeyer or Jack Sears, who threw for like 85%, three touchdowns and like 300 yards, uh, just to keep that explosive offense off the field. I wonder if they try to go ground and pound. Uh, but, you know, it's short in the season with Boise so far. Uh, you know, not, not big of a sample, but, I mean, they're already top ten in success rate. They're already eighth in passing explosiveness. Uh, I like the motivation here. They're at home on the Smurf turf. That really doesn't mean anything. You, we know historically that their, their cover rate at home is not as great as some people may think. Uh, the one thing that bothers me that really kind of said, I'm, I'm going to take Boise in this, uh, especially at three and a half here, is that BYU is 58th in opponent pass EPA. And that tells me it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for Boise. They're going to be able to get it down the field. It's just a matter of Kalani Sataki is going to try to limit how many times, you know, Boise gets their hands on the ball. Yeah, I don't know if I'll have a play pregame on this. That might be something that I watch and try to get a read on and bet live. But I do think that BYU is going to be able to move the ball. I just don't think they're going to get pressure on him. And everything I've seen, I know the competition hasn't been great. He's making every throw, every throw. And that offensive line is playing so well. And that's the weakness of Boise, their defensive line. And now you lose Washington. I don't think they're going to get pressure. And you're going to give Wilson time. I don't care who he's throwing to. It's pretty amazing what he's done with new receivers. They lost Bushman, their star tight end. And uh, BYU wins this game. Could get interesting down the stretch because – Who's going to make the college football playoff? I don't know. I don't think BYU is going to have the resume, but Big 12 has cannibalized itself. Who knows? I mean, we assume the Pac-12 will do the same. How many teams are the SEC going to get in? Can the ACC get two? That is a question we will get to when we talk Notre Dame-Clemson. I think the marquee matchup of the weekend. Let's go chronologically on Saturday and get to our second marquee game of the day. Let's start at noon 
and talk a little Big Ten. This is a fascinating game to me from a line perspective. Michigan is a three-point favorite at BetMGM, over under 54.5 at Indiana. This game's at noon on FS1. We know that Michigan disappointed their fan base once again. Michigan football, back for six days, and they lose as three-plus touchdown favorites against Michigan State, a Michigan State team that got blown out by Rutgers in week one. Joe Milton apparently isn't the savior, and Indiana went to Rutgers in a pretty bad spot, and they got the job done. They moved to 2-0. They had a fortunate win over Penn State. Yet, Michigan here is a three-point favorite. Is that based on name? Is it warranted? I'll get your thoughts on that in, in a second. The one thing I do want to say about Indiana's offense, and we wrote about Indiana as one of the reasons why I bet Penn State in that opener, is I thought this offense was going to be explosive, but there's issues. It just doesn't look right Penix has just has been a little off maybe it's some of the offensive line which has had issues maybe that's where Michigan can get an advantage on both sides of the ball in the trenches but I don't I don't have Michigan I show value here in Indiana am I missing anything no, I mean, I took Indiana early in the week at three and a half, a number that I projected a pick. I thought it would come back down. It hasn't yet. Still remains to be seen what's going to happen with this number. Uh, you know, if there's any steam on Saturday morning, I know that the early, uh, boy, as we talk about ticket count here in a presidential election, I know the early money and the early ticket count uh, is favoring Michigan. But there's just, it, you know, may, the, the initial play in Indiana at the beginning of the week was a play on the three and a half and the fact that I thought that that was too high. Uh, and it would come back. But I have issues with both of these teams. Biggest issue I have with Michigan is Milton's accuracy and the defensive secondary. Michigan State completed nine passes of 15-plus yards against the Wolverines secondary. It is not going well in that secondary whatsoever. But let's get a little bit more specific. The issue is in corner uh, Gamon Green. Uh, his opponent completion rate is 28%. The other cornerbacks, like Vincent Gray, they're absolutely getting torched. He's allowed 71% opponent completion rate at 38 yards per catch. And if you look at, you know, PFF has all the cornerbacks and, and, and safeties graded out, uh, they're getting torched everywhere that Green is not, you know, lining up and playing corner, which he's usually the weak side cornerback. Uh, so, you know, if Michael Penix Jr. is going to have a successful day, it's going to be throwing away from green. Indiana's ninth in finishing drives on both sides of the ball. So at least when the you know when when a team gets past the forty yard line, whether it's the Hoosiers' offense or defense, they've been able to have some success. Only half of the red zone attempts against the Hoosiers have come up in a score against Penn State and Rutgers so far this season. The, the thing with the thing with Milton is is his adjusted completion rate goes down twenty four percent when he has pressure. His accuracy is not that good in the first place. Uh, but Indiana is not getting any pressure on the quarterback whatsoever. Uh, they're graded 76th by PFF as far as a pass rush is concerned, which means Milton should get Michigan into scoring position all afternoon. This team can get the ball down the field. They just have problems scoring, and Milton has problems with accuracy. Of the nine red zone scores that Michigan has, eight of them have been touchdowns. So, you know, I'm looking for Indiana to pick on corners and, you know, who don't have a last name of green. Uh, I think both teams are going to get into scoring position uh, without any really real resistance. So I'm going to take the over 54 in this one. You don't have any concerns about the Indiana offensive line? I have more concerns about the Michigan secondary. I mean, there's there's ways to combat that offensive line, right? I mean, you can you can line up and shotgun and get that thing thrown out to the flats. You can throw it over their head and screen, whatever. But that, that Michigan secondary has just been torched. 
looking at this is one of the things where looking at ticket count can give me it's one of the useful things and you can look check on the action app because i say to myself is this like i make it in, i think it, i make indiana a one point favorite or right around a pick and you can see our projected power ratings on the app you know one of the things that i i say to myself is all right this is at three it's not coming down am i missing something or you know, is there like respected money that's dry, that's keeping this at three or it's going to push it to three and a half? Or is it that Michigan's name recognition and program still holds weight in the market? So I look at, all right, are most of the tickets still betting Michigan as a three-point favorite in Indiana? And yeah, so it's like, it's not like the, it, it's not like the luster is completely worn off Michigan. People still say this is Michigan football, uh, you know, your general better. And uh, we'll still like three in Indiana regardless, I think. Let's move on to our third marquee game of the day and talk a little big 12 we have west virginia going to texas at bet mgm west virginia is a six and a half point underdog over under 55 texas off that overtime win uh, maybe job saving win for tom herman some have suggested potentially seems like every time he gets his back against the wall he pulls out a win as an underdog now they will try texas will try to back it up with a win at home over a Mountaineers team that's playing pretty well. Look, the over-under is still at 55, key number in totals markets. Still 55 at BetMGM, still some 55s out there. I played some under 55 here. I like the Texas defense, and we've talked about this. Joseph Asai, by the way, he's getting paid um, after last week, and he's just an overall star. But we like where this Texas defense is trending under Chris Ash and the West Virginia defense. Man, there's a lot to be impressed about starting with the Stills brothers up front. Uh, it's just a really solid West Virginia defense all the way across the board. So I think this is, you know, a game that's played in the 20s, more so than the 30s. And in order to get over 55, this, you're pretty much going to need it to get to the 30s. But uh, I think defense, name of the game here, Texas, maybe they come out a little flat to start off noon kick after that big win in a spot where Herman's teams, as favorites, have generally come out a little flat. So I actually do show some value in the under. I think you disagree on the total, but I'm not sure. The nears, I would like seven, seven and a half. If I'm going to look that way, I think it'd make it five, five and a half. This thing's been stubbornly moved out from seven, touch seven. I think every time it gets to seven, respective money will take the nears of the dog. So pretty much it's been sitting at six and a half for most of the week. Uh, what do you see here in this big 12 matchup of two, four and two clubs? Yeah, the total wise, it get, the projection came out for me a lot higher. Uh, and I think that was, you know, a result of with Texas, you know, yards per play plays per game pace uh, and what you're doing, your difference between finishing drives on offense and defense. So if you're really good at getting touchdowns when you have offense and you're really good at preventing any points whatsoever on defense, and then you get a little bit of a bump when I project totals, let's talk about pace for a second. I, I really didn't have a clue that West Virginia was this fast. They're 30th in the nation in, in seconds per play. Now, Texas, I knew about Texas running that tempo wrinkle, I think is what they were calling it. Uh, 14th in the nation in seconds per play. Uh, Texas is also 13th offensively in finishing drives. So, you know, you put these ingredients together and in the formula that I have, and it, it spit out a number that was bigger than what the total is on the board. Um, so, you know, I, I, we'll see if I'm going to get in. I, th- I think I am going to play the over, absolutely going to play the over because I trust the formula and the pace of the play is going to be faster than I initially thought it would be. 
And one thing that's really kind of playing into my totals is the grading on tackling. And I think, you know, missed tackles is such a big deal in college football. It, I, I, it's just a stat that, you know, we, we really kind of don't pay attention to, kind of like special teams, right? It's just one of those things that plays such a big role in whether you cover or not. And Texas right now is 95th in PFF grading and tackling, which means if West Virginia can bust a run or bust a pass, it's going to be a lot of arm tackling going on. So, you know, the tackling issue bothers me with Texas, but you're right. I mean, we, we do like their defense. It showed up last week. They're 13th overall in Havoc. Uh, they're seventh in line yards. They're controlling the trench. Uh, but I think at the next level, the linebacker and, and, and secondary level, there's been some issues with some tackling. Now let's talk about the side. I took this, I took some at eight, but it wasn't widely available on Sunday. Took it again at seven and a half. And once it was available everywhere, I was happy to put it out on the app. Uh, this is really a game I thought West Virginia should have been a dog by six. I think this number is going to keep coming down. Uh, as we record right now, uh, I think BetMGM, we're at six and a half. I think this number is going to keep coming down. So if you like Texas, I'd wait. If you have a West Virginia piece north of seven uh, and you want to come back on Texas, I'd wait. You know, Texas gave up 400 yards and four TDs in the air to Oklahoma State. There's no reason why West Virginia's offense can't do that. They just went for 300 against Kansas State. And West Virginia's now 26 in passing success rate. The biggest weakness of the rising Texas defense is the opponent passing success rate, exactly what West Virginia does. They rank 90th in sack rate. They're not getting any pressure. You know, also concerning for Texas, like I mentioned, was the tackling. That's not an issue for West Virginia. Uh, We hammered them last week against Kansas State because West Virginia is excellent against explosive teams, and they are eighth in the country in PFF, and and it's where they graded out in tackling. So, you know, I'm going to take an over in this game. Uh, I think the pace is a lot faster than I expected it to be, maybe a little bit sneaky that people don't realize West Virginia is 30th in the nation in seconds per play. Texas is pretty terrible at special teams, 89th in the country. I'll end up taking it over. I'll wait for it to keep coming down. I can see where the market wants to take this total. But, you know, both pace, top 30, Texas 13th in offensive finishing drives, and the Ellinger TD rate. I just think that's something you can't integrate into numbers. It's like West Virginia hasn't faced a quarterback like Sam Ellinger. I mean, if it's first and goal, it's Sam Ellinger on a draw play, right? And, I mean, that's just something that every defense has to deal with. I would keep an eye on – if I had to – like, if we had college fantasy, college DFS going on, I'd keep an eye on Behan Robinson – uh, the running back, he's been explosive out of the backfield, and that's one area where you can hurt West Virginia. They're 62nd against rush explosiveness, so teams have been able to get chunk yards on the ground. That's where Robinson plays a factor for the Longhorns' backfield, and yet another reason why I think this game could get over. I will be against you there, but it's a good point that you bring up with the pace and West Virginia's pace, for sure. So, country roads, take me home to the place. Let's move on to our fourth marquee game of the day. And let's talk a little SEC football, the 3.30 CBS game. Everyone's Saturday afternoon favorite. The whole world will be tuned in in some way, the whole gambling world. Uh, At BetMGM right now, Georgia is a three and a half point favorite over under 52 and a half for the used to be World's largest cocktail party, but not this year because I don't think there's going to be any cocktails and people party uh, in Jacksonville. Some wins potentially here, wins across Florida all weekend long, really. The, the question here for me, and I played some Florida plus three and a half. I played some plus four. I'm going to play some. I want to. I wish I got some plus six. 
when it first opened, but there's some things that I've been waiting on with Georgia. There's just a lot of injuries and news here. And I, I mean, let's, we'll start with some of the injuries. So Georgia's, Georgia's one of their best wide receivers, Pickens. He didn't play last week against Kentucky. A freshman, Marcus Roseme Jack Saint, he did play. He didn't look great against Kentucky. I don't think he had any catches. There was a miscommunication when that led to a pick on a route. They're one of their running backs, McIntosh, didn't play. He's questionable. I don't know. Both of them may or may not play. Pickens is the most important one. They're, they're starting linebacker, Quay Walker. He's questionable. They're starting safety, Lewis Sign. He's questionable. The biggest ones, though, on Georgia's defense are Jordan Davis, their defensive tackle, who's pretty much irreplaceable and a huge part of that defense. He's questionable. If he can't go, they would have they would have turned to Julian Rochester. Well, he's ruled out. They don't really have a, an adequate replacement now if Davis can't go. And then the biggest one of all is LeCount. He got in a what a traffic af- accident in a, on a moped or something. He's out, and he's an All-American safety, one of the best defenders in the country. Kind of important against Kyle Pitts. Uh, on the Florida side, you have Zachary Carter, their defensive end, pretty important player for them on a team that lost a lot on their defensive line. And linebacker Antoine Powell, they won't be available for the first half because of the brawl last week. Last week, Florida didn't have three multi-year veteran starters in their secondary because of COVID issues. Sean Davis, Marco Wilson, and Donovan Steiner. Although Donovan Steiner hasn't been really good, and freshman Rashad Torrance looked great. The biggest thing with Florida that I saw last week is they got Kyrie Campbell back for the first time this season. He started last year, and this is a defensive line that lost a lot from last year, a lot of NFL talent. But what that really did is it allowed Carter, who's out the first half, to play defensive end, which is where he should be. And it also allowed Brennan Cox, who's a five-star transfer from Georgia, to play the buck position. And all of a sudden, that defensive line was getting pressure. It looked more like a Todd Grantham defense. But then again, it's Missouri, and Missouri was missing multiple offensive line starters. How much do you take from it? I don't know. This Georgia offense just hasn't been really been doing much. I haven't been a fan of Stetson Bennett all year. I love Kyle Trask. I love Kyle Pitts. I, the Georgia defense, I think, was is the best in the country when healthy. They're not. And they don't have a count. That loss is huge with Pitts, especially in the red zone. They're going to isolate him. I mean, Mullen likes to isolate him by himself and, and just clear the field for him. No count now? That's big. Uh, you might not have Davis. That's big. You might not have Pickens. Big. So the Georgia run game, should he – um, but I think Florida's offense will finish more drives, and that's what I think it comes down to. I, I think Florida wins this game. I know that they haven't – look, there's a, a lot, you know, a lot of moving pieces that I just went over, and I know that they have – they've lost the last three. When Mullen has played Kirby Smart in the past, they've played each other 11 times, and Smart has won 10, including seven times when Mullen was at uh, Mississippi State and uh, Smart was Alabama's defensive coordinator. Mullen's teams have averaged 11.7 points per game. They topped 20 points only once, and that was in 2008 in the SEC championship game with Tim Tebow. Florida hasn't topped 280 yards in total offense against Georgia in the last four meetings. But, you know, those first two meetings, Mullen's offenses, they weren't really that great. And if you look back, I mean, Mississippi State versus Alabama, I mean, the talent differential and discrepancy was pretty large. So I don't put too much weight into that. Uh, I just think the Georgia injuries – the difference in the explosiveness and just the level that each passing offense is playing at Florida, really high Georgia, meh. Uh, I'll take Florida as a dog here at catching anything, anything over three. 
Thoughts? Chomp, chomp. Well, I mean, I think you're going to want to wait. I think this number is going to go up. I think there's some serious Georgia money coming in. It's pushing up to three and a half today. And if you are, uh, you know, a subscriber to Sports Insights, you can see the line watcher, and they've got a pretty high probability prediction that this thing will touch four, uh, which I'm sure will get buyback on the Gators. But if you like the Gators, I would wait. Uh, if you like Georgia, I'd probably try to get that three as fast as I could. I took some three and a half. I had some four earlier, very, very small. And I put it in, I put a note in the app. I'm just taking some three and a half because I couldn't get a good read on is this coming to three or is this going to four? So I just took some small three and a half. And then if it goes to four or more, I will add. If it stays at three and a half, I will add more to my position. But that was my thinking. I really couldn't figure out. And, th- and there's so many moving parts with the injury. So, like, all of a sudden, if, like, Davis and Pickens get ruled out and then Florida has guys coming back, then it could go to three. So, I just said, let me get some three and a half now. Uh, but I don't necessarily disagree with your sentiment. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of player swap going in and out here. So, And, and I think that there's uh, big groups that want pieces of both. I, I would just try to get the best number. I'm just advising to get the best number because I think it is going to be on the move and it's going to bite at both ends. I waffled on this game a lot this week. It wasn't something that just hit me on Sunday and I said, oh, I absolutely have to have this side. And I fell on the Georgia side for a couple of reasons. But let's – I mean, Stuck went over through all – Battle the- week. Here we go. Yeah, Stuck, Stuck went through the reasons with some of the players missing. And Richard LeCount not being there is a really big deal. And you have to give credit to Florida's offense, especially through the air. I mean, Mullen's out there pumping up the crowd like the ultimate warrior at the 1988 SummerSlam. Uh, you know, Kyle Pitts is back in action. He's got eight targets. He's averaging 10 yards per target. Uh, and the biggest thing that I noticed in that Missouri game was Kadarius Toney getting catches out of the backfield. Now that's, that's something that could give Georgia's defense some real problems is he had two touchdowns. And, and you know, if you're going to run that, that wheel route there out of the backfield that can, that can put a hurting on a lot of people. So Georgia's rank and coverage is 25th by PFF. Uh, so maybe a little bit of resistance to a Florida offense is so pass dominant, but without Richard LeCount there, who is by and far the highest graded player on that defense, uh, you know, Florida might have a little bit more uh, offensive success, uh, but the Florida defense is an absolute disaster. I mean, they're 92nd in opponent third down conversions, 92nd out of 103 teams that have played. They're 101st in opponent rushing success rate. 101st, like anybody can run on them. And they're 97th graded in PFF and tackling. That's UMass level. That's worse. We just talked about Texas being 95th. Florida's 97th. That's, that's UMass. Uh, so I don't know what's going on with Todd Grantham. We can't stop anybody on third down. We can't tackle anybody. And anybody with any kind of pulse on the rushing game is going to push us around. So the Georgia offense was all rush in a trench game against Kentucky. Right. I mean, you called the under beautifully and I had to sweat the, the, the side on that game. But there's real no there's really no takeaways. I thought Zamir White and the offensive line were working on a game plan for Florida and not trying to expose anything. And that's what they did. You know, as explosive as the Gators offense can be through the air, you know, and Georgia missing Richard LeCount. I just can't get over two things. And even with George Pickens being out. Right. I mean, that was Stetson Bennett's best receiver in the entire unit. I have to question, does Georgia make this a ground and pound? Does Georgia want to eliminate Florida's attempts? You know, they, they, Florida throws, they only rush 44% of the time. That is a really high uh, passing rate by Florida. And it's Kirby Smart's plan to just line up and run these guys over, just steamroll with Zamir White and, and, and the offensive line. And so even with Pickens out uh, and Richard LeCount out, and, you know, I just couldn't get over the fact that, A, Florida is abysmal in tackling and B, there is a monster special teams difference here in these two teams. PFF grades Florida 53rd in special teams. 
they grade Georgia third. To me, that means field position. That means field goals. And in a spread where there's three and you need everything you need, uh, Georgia's the team that's got way better special teams, way better tackling. I'm sticking to my guns here. I mean, some of the injuries, especially if Davis is out for Georgia. And, yeah, I think Georgia will have success running. Their offensive line is really good. Their running backs are obviously all five stars. They just reload there. But their passing game I is just, man, I don't believe in Stetson Bennett or their receivers, especially if Pickens doesn't play. So I think they're going to be able to move it. But I think Florida's going to get a couple stops in the red zone. And Florida's offense is going to be able to finish drives without LeCount there, getting it to Pitts. And I think Bennett's going to throw a key pick or two, and that's going to be the difference. I'm mainly sticking to my guns on two things. Before the year, I bet Florida to win the SEC, which obviously this game depends. I need this game for that. I thought at the price that I could have gotten Florida at, there was too much value to pass up. But I thought it was going to be really close, and it obviously is still. Those are the two things that I'm counting on here, that Florida's defense is going to be a little better based on some personnel and some things that happened last week. And I'm trusting my preseason read here. Should be a really good game. Any feel on the, any feel on the total? Because I keep going back and forth. I say, well, Georgia's defensive injuries should be able to, you know, should make it easier for Florida to move the ball. And I also think that Georgia will be able to move the ball on the ground. But if Georgia's just going to go exclusively to the ground, you know, so I think both teams will be able to move it. But then does that make this game a lot shorter? So I keep going way back and forth on the total. I don't, I don't know. So I, I don't think I'll play on the total. Any thoughts? I mean, the projection came out to 60, but again, these are not fast teams, 71st and 52nd in seconds per play. Georgia's not explosive on the ground. They're 96 in rush explosiveness. They're not explosive in the air with Stetson Bennett. Uh, They're really good at preventing explosive plays. And Florida, you know, believe it or not, they're really not that explosive passing. They're just highly successful. I mean, they are one of the best passing teams in the nation, but they're 59th in passing EPA. You see Kyle Pitts getting the the needed 14 to 18 yards. You don't see Kyle Pitts running for 60 yards, uh, and that's what kind of offense they are. So you're right. I just I don't see a path to get this over, even though the projection says it goes over. And you know what? Maybe it's a special teams thing. Maybe here we go. Maybe there's a special teams. Maybe there's a pick six. Maybe there's something in there uh, that's not expected in the offensive defensive formula. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. All right, let's move on to our final marquee game of the weekend. And it's a good one. We have Notre Dame against Clemson at BetMGM. Notre Dame is now a five-point underdog over under 50 and a half. All right, this is a very, very fascinating game for multiple reasons. But primarily, before we get break it, go into the game, I want to get your thoughts on this. Notre Dame wins this game. Trevor Lawrence was out. And then they're going to, they presumably play again in the ACC championship game. And then Clemson wins with Trevor Lawrence against Notre Dame in the second meeting. They split, but Trevor Lawrence played in the second one, the most recent one, and it's Clemson. Clemson probably gets into the playoff. And then Notre Dame split with Clemson if they go undefeated. Notre Dame gets in uh, maybe as the fourth team because Big 12, Pac 12 cannibalize themselves. And then you get Bama and Ohio State in there. And then there's a chance Notre Dame and Clemson play a third time? What, what do you think about the, the, the shot of 
if Notre Dame wins this, talk through my scenario. Please, no, no making teams play each other a third time in one season, especially in a schedule-shortened season. That would be gross. You know, I, we're going to get into the handicap of this game. I'm not sure the, – the absence of Trevor Lawrence is going to be big to the college football playoff committee. It's not that big to gamblers. It's not that big to the market. Uh, but in the college football playoff committee's mind, it's going to be the be-all, end-all because he's going to be the number one overall pick in the draft and go on to win us a whole bunch of money in the NFL. How many points do you make it now? I had it eight last week, and now I have it four. <laughs> I make it two, but it has nothing to do with Trevor wow. Lawrence. DJU is freshman phenom. Obviously, he's a five-star. I had it like yeah. he didn't look great. Trevor Lawrence is great. I had it like seven, eight points last week. I think on my final number, here's like four and a half point difference. So I, I would have had this line. What did I make this line? I made this line three, right. and I would have made this line seven and a half, eight. Um, obviously, you're like in a dead zone. There. I don't know. It wouldn't have really mattered. Seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. If Trevor Lawrence played, and you you have it, what same difference drop off? Yeah, four points. Uh, yeah, same difference drop off. You know, and uh, you know there were other things uh, about Clemson that bothered me. There's some pieces missing off this team. Uh, to get into the handicap of Clemson Notre Dame, I make this game about Notre Dame plus two. There are some missing pieces on the Clemson side that I, I this this one was also a tough game to cap. And, uh, you know, the narrative that you're hearing everywhere else, I, this is what pisses me off about the college football landscape, the, the entire podcast landscape. If you happen to listen to anybody, anybody besides Stuck and I, you turn on the goddamn TV and everyone's going to tell you how bad Notre Dame is against in these spots, against these top 10 teams. Oh, Brian Kelly can't get it done. Notre Dame doesn't have the players. They don't recruit this, the same way SEC and Clemson teams do. Shouldn't even play this game. It's not even worth playing. This is the same Notre Dame team that covered against Georgia at home, what, just last year? Like, almost won the damn game, right? What was that spread? Six and a half, seven? Uh, Notre Dame, I went and did a little research, pulled out our old bet labs, took a look at Brian Kelly since 2000. Fuck, I forgot we got to back Brian Kelly. Fuck. <laughs> this is bullshit. Brian Kelly, and since 2010, in the Brian Kelly era, when they've been an underdog against the top ten team. They're eight and three against the spread as an underdog against a top 10 team in the Brian Kelly era. He may not be winning games, but he's lining our pockets. Now, I'm not saying we're going to take it. We saw last week, he sure as hell tries to cover in the last possible second. (laughs) He didn't try to cover against Louisville, son of a bitch. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to base this game off of, you know, an 11 game sample over 10 years. I'm saying the narrative that's being built around Notre Dame can't get it done is a bunch of bullshit. Don't buy into it. I, did, I didn't have much of a drop-off. Uh, the success rate uh, for DJU uh, from him to Trevor really wasn't that much. Uh, I mean, he showed flashes in the second half of the game to look like Trevor Lawrence, even running the ball. Uh, his success rate in passing was about the same in passing down, standard downs. It didn't matter. You know, the problem, the thing that bothers me about this game with Clemson is they're down plenty of defensive starters. Xavier Thomas is out for the first half for a targeting call against BC. Uh, defensive tackle Tyler Davis is out. Linebacker James Skowski is out. Mike Jones is out of that linebacker unit. Now, when I just said Skowski and Jones, that's not really two of the players that affect the rush defense. Their major effect is in the pass defense. Skowski and Jones were graded as the top two defenders and pass coverage by PFF. So that number that they have, uh, I think, what, ranked eighth in pass coverage, that takes a huge hit in their linebacker. That makes them ready and available for Ian Book to hit right over the middle because those two were so big in pass defense. Jerkovic had two explosive plays for TDs and, you know, was able to hit them for bombs. That opened up my eyes a little bit. 
the Clemson defense was definitely sleeping in that first half. The only thing that what, what made this cap was so tough to handicap is that Notre Dame runs the ball at a 63% rate, which is like unreal. Like they run the ball. Yeah, is that fake or real? Is that, that's what I would try to exactly. figure out. Fake or real? What the hell is Tommy Rees doing? New offensive coordinator. You know, has he purposely been doing this all season? You look at that 12 to 7 win over Louisville and you think they did that shit on purpose, right? They did it on purpose not to expose a single thing. They've only hit Jafar Armstrong out of the back out of the backfield three times. And every time they do, he takes off for like 30 to 40 yards. He's a crazy weapon, wide receiver, running back, wide receiver, whatever. When Ian Book hits him, he goes for a lot. So the question is, is Ree's been holding back on this offense the entire time. And could Ian Book hit deep targets or at least hit targets that can accumulate a bunch of yaks? Uh, I think the answer is yes. Notre Dame is currently 85th in passing grades per PFF. That's not great, but I think it's by design. Notre Dame has only eight completions over 20 yards. Again, I think it's by design. I mean, if I was at a poker table, which I did a lot during the quarantine, I would call the bluff. I would say Tommy Rees has purposely been calling 63% rush rate. Notre Dame's coverage, let's go to the other side of the ball on defense. I've said this forever. Clark Lee, one of the best defensive coordinators in the nation. Mike Elko product, I think he's doing better than Mike Elko is these days. Should be a head coach someday. Their coverage ranks sixth. Clemson's coverage is ranked eighth on defense. The defensive finishing drives, Notre Dame ranks third. Clemson's ranks 12th. I mean, there's a lot of good defense going on in this game. Special teams, both these teams rank in the top 15. I think this is a major grudge match. I think Notre Dame has just as good of a chance to win this game as Clemson does. I think that Notre Dame has purposely been hiding a lot and not been showing anything, especially when I just go back to that whole Louisville game plan. It's crazy. So I took Notre Dame plus three in the first half, considering you know Xavier Thomas is going to be out from the defensive line for Clemson. I think that they're going to show their playbook immediately right away and take advantage of the linebackers that are out for Clemson. So I do like Notre Dame plus three. I think I saw you take Notre Dame uh, for the game. I, I, I plus seven was available for like 40 minutes and I missed it. And I just haven't been able to bring myself to take the Notre Dame a full game. So I'm going to play that live. I am going to play the Irish live. You know, I, I just, uh, I, I think look for Jafar Armstrong. I think him out of the backfield and attacking the linebacker area of the defense on Clemson is what's going to happen. Yeah. I had a similar issue. I missed plus I missed under 52 did a radio spot. It was 52 did a radio interview and I uh, got off the phone and then I was about to bet it, but took this call, get off the radio call, and it was a 50 and a half. So I took some under 24 and a half first half. I, it does concern me. It's like, does Notre Dame, are they, are they going to come out and use all of their like passing plays? And then, cause they've been running it so much and then come out slinging it early. That does scare me. But this Clemson offense, it's just not what, it's still very good. And you still have a five star, but he's making his first start in the road. It's, it's not what we're used to seeing as far as weapons on the outside. Obviously the best running back in college football and ETN. But this is a really veteran, well-coached Notre Dame defense that tackles very well. So I think the Notre Dame defense is going to hold up here. Here's the X factor. Keep this in mind. I watched an interview the other day, Brady Quinn and Matt Liner. You know, the, remember that famous Bush push game? Oh, yeah. When USC came to Notre Dame? Well, Notre Dame, they were, they were laughing about it. Notre Dame, obviously you're playing USC, and they were one of the, you know, the best offenses we've seen in the last 20 years. Explosive offense, number one in the, in the country. Very, very fast team. What did Notre Dame do? They didn't cut the grass for like three weeks. Um, and they were laughing about it. Brady was laughing. So I can guarantee you this Clemson offense and ETN, you might not be able to see some players out there for some of the, the patches of grass that we might see just to slow up the track for, uh, which I think would benefit Notre Dame. But yeah, the, the interesting thing here is like, that's what's tough to cap the total 
specifically for me is that Notre Dame's just been running it so much. They've been playing really slow, too, much slower than they have in the past, which makes it even crazier. They were playing fast to cover in the last 30 seconds. They played slow the whole game until the last minute. That's besides the point. Brian Kelly didn't get in. They didn't score, so he's still fine with me, and we're going to back him this week, and he better come through. But, yeah, I like Notre Dame here. Try to get that six or better, and I, I played some under 24 and a half first half. I do like the under for the game, too. It makes it tougher because I don't know the, what the Notre Dame play calling. Like, I just have questions about it. Right. So 52 and 51 are key numbers. So uh, I would like to get under 52, but I didn't. Um, but that's something to keep an eye on. If there's a quick score, that we're, you know, you could get some over money later in the week. Any, any final thoughts here? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's hilarious you mentioned Notre Dame is 92nd in seconds per play, and they're going up-tempo to get to Brian Kelly. He knows Unreal. Died in the total is. I think if we want to bet on something that is not analytics-based, if Notre Dame comes out in the Kelly Green uniforms from the Bush Push game, automatic Notre Dame money line play right off the bat. Uh, yeah, that's more on that later. All right, that'll wrap up the five marquee games of the weekend. Before we move on to the Pac-12, here's a word from our sponsors and official odds provider of the Action Network podcast, BetMGM. The NFL season is upon us, and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ACTIONPOD and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. And now, back to the show. All right, let's move on to the Pac-12. Look, this conference is a mess. We have so much to get to. We're not going to spend a ton of time like we did on the Mac and the Big Ten but we're going to go through every game except Washington Cal. We'll cover those teams at a, at a later date because that game was postponed. We'll do like a 90 to 100 second rundown. We'll each take a game and then just give you a quick quick synopsis of what those two teams look like and if there's anything that we like in that game. Colin, I will start with you. And I guess we'll go chronologically here. So a noon kick, eight, 9 a.m. local kick, Arizona State at USC. USC is a 10.5-point favorite over under 55 at BetMGM. Thoughts on the uh, Sun Devils, who get under Edwards. I remember, they keep every game seemingly close, catching 10.5 at USC. I don't know how, like, we're just not automatically booking first half unders on 9 a.m. Pac-12 games. But let's talk about this one a little bit. Arizona State-USC, a game I projected USC minus 14. Uh, There's lots of missing weapons here for Arizona State. Brandon Ayuk, Eno Benjamin. Uh, Arizona State brings in two new co-defensive coordinators for a returning senior secondary. Now you would think that that's good news for Arizona state, but this is a same secondary that gave up almost 500 yards to Kadon slow this last year through the air. 
USC's defense also under new management. Todd Orlando moves over after jettison uh, from the Big 12, where you don't want to be a defensive coordinator. He finds himself in as the defensive coordinator. He gets 87% of the Trojans uh, returning starters back. It's a huge upgrade from Clancy Pendergast. Uh, I like USC in this game. Uh, Project it at 14, so I, I would take it up till then. You're going to get your USC bet that you didn't get to have against Alabama uh, right. early in the year to start off the year. So let's move to 3.30 Eastern, Arizona catching 14. Arizona plus 14 at Utah over under 57. There's a lot going on in this game. Utah lost a ton. Their quarterback, Huntley, is gone. Who's their quarterback? I don't know. I'm sure the coach knows, but maybe it's Jake Bentley, transfer from South Carolina. They haven't named a quarterback. They haven't named a starting running back. They have four guys listed. No one has emerged in camp to replace Moss. Uh, so there's a lot of questions with this Utah team. And then the secondary has to be completely rebuilt. But think about all the pros that are I mean, Jalen Johnson starting uh, at corner for the Bears. A lot of pieces that they lost in, in that secondary. Arizona bring a lot back on defense, which is a positive for you know, it's something positive that you can say about that defense, which was a dumpster fire last year. Uh, they do lose their leading rusher and, and best player on that offense last year greg goodell is back at quarterback who showed some flashes last year and has some potential but he won't have jj taylor in the backfield uh, i think at 14 or above arizona's the play i think this line is just a tad too high i think you make it closer to 10 and as do i a lot of moving pieces here though and you're trying you don't know who's quarterback who's the running back for utah i lost a lot on the defensive end at least arizona has some experience on the defensive end and at quarterback um so if you can get 14 or more, I think the look here is Arizona. All right, let's move on to the next game. Seven Eastern UCLA at BetMGM is a six and a half point favorite traveling to Colorado over under 56 and a half. Thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, it's a game that I project UCLA minus seven. I took UCLA minus six and a half on the action app today. Uh, and really, it's a, I, I like what UCLA has returning in, you know, wide receiver running back. They've got some real playmakers there. And Colorado loses LaVisca Chenault quarterback position I mean they're they are a complete teardown and rebuild uh starting with hiring the Dolphins wide receiver coach Carl Durrell I have no clue how this happened this guy has been the Jets wide receiver coach the Texans quarterback coach the Dolphins quarterback and wide receiver coach he was uh, the UCLA head coach back in 2007 now he finds himself Colorado's head coach I don't have a clue how that happened what a pull for him whoever his agent is needs a bonus uh, Colorado is the lowest amount of returning production on offense in South Division at 36%. Chip Kelly, like I said, returns 75% of his offense. Uh, neither team can play any D, uh, typical Pac-12. Uh, but, you know, UCLA returns every single weapon while, like I said, Colorado loses Chenault. So I'm going to roll with UCLA here. Uh, it would be a shock for me. I mean, even considering everything, if, if Chip Kelly was to be outcoached by Carl Durrell. Uh, let's move on to... The next game in primetime, 7.30 Eastern on ABC, Stanford, plus 7.5 at Oregon, over under 50.5 at BetMGM. I can't, I can't believe I missed the 10.5, but I went back and redid these teams, and I make this under 7, and I was shocked. But Oregon lost everything. I mean, all their defensive pieces, all their future pro potential defenders, some of my favorite players. I love this defense. They all opted out. They lost their entire offensive line, which was elite last year, except for Penny Sewell, who's going to be who's probably the best offensive lineman in college football. He opted out. Yeah. Uh, Justin Herbert, we know, is obviously starting in the NFL right now. So, I mean, this team 
It's a hard thing to project. Just all the massive, massive departures and opt-outs. Stanford had some as well. Walker Little will play in the NFL offensive lineman. He opted out. Uh, but I just made this under seven. So I took some Stanford plus eight here. I think Oregon's in a much messier state for this shortened offseason prep, shortened season than Stanford is. I think Stan- I think Stanford will find a way to keep this close. Thoughts here? Yeah, it's a tough call. Specifically, you know, Sewell being out off the offensive line, he actually got votes for the Heisman and then Oregon secondary wiped out. Uh, and then we're breaking in elite a new- secondary. Yeah, elite secondary. And now we're breaking in a new quarterback for a new offensive coordinator named Joe Moorhead. Uh, so I think there's a lot of question marks on Oregon. And let's pile on top of that. There's going to be a 35% chance of rain, 48 degrees in Eugene. It's going to be chilly. You know, the number took a steep dive this afternoon. Uh, where I think we're going to be uh, railing in here below a touchdown. I'm trying to look for it now. Yeah, looks like it's uh, – so, you know, and, and the thing about Stanford is is – they were hurt. I think every single player in the two deep was hurt last year. So, I mean, returning production way up for the trees. Uh, and you just, you know, every single player, they, they were, they've been so bad on the offensive line for so long, uh, just with injuries and ineffective play and protecting the quarterback. So this is a really, really tough one to get my hands on. Uh, it's probably going to be one that I sit out. Uh, Stanford should be vastly improved with 70% returning on both sides of the ball. The one thing I will say about Oregon is that Cristobal has been recruiting his nuts off. I mean, they've, they've got four- and five-star talent coming through that door. So I'm not saying that equals me projecting them to win this game or cover the spread. I'm just saying they're at least in a better position than other teams would be to lose this much talent. Fair. Yeah, and Oregon still doesn't name the starting quarterback. Uh, it could be not Tyler, Tyler Shaw or, or it's Anthony Brown, who was, a, I think, a BC transfer. Davis Mills is back at quarterback. He do have experience at quarterback. And David Shaw – when he doesn't have a team that's completely decimated by injuries is generally a covering machine in a spot like this. He'll find a way to cover this game. All right, let's close out the pac 12 with the late night special. Our first pac 12 after dark of the year. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will Oregon state one and a half point favorite at home against Washington state over under 65 and a half at BetMGM. I know, I think you disagree with me here, but I love Oregon state here. I love head coach Jonathan Smith. I love where he's taking this team. They do have a new quarterback. Jake Luton is actually starting this week in the NFL. Um, as is Never would have thought that two years ago. Insane. Six-round traffic starting for the Jags over Gardner Minshew. So it's going to be Tristan Jr., Tristan Gebbia, who has, has some game experience. He started against Oregon last year, too. Oregon State, they're, you know, a pro-style, zone-read, play-action-heavy offense. They're going to feature running back Jamar Jefferson. The defense – you know, it's going to feature Rochette. He's one of the best outside linebackers, but he had 23 tackles for loss and 14 sacks last year. He's a legit All-American. Defense wasn't great last year, but it does bring back eight starters. I think the defense is going to be vastly improved. On the other side, Washington State. And look, since you have the quarterback who's played before, you have a decent amount of returning production. Washington State, brand-new coaching staff, brand-new quarterback. So you have Jaden DeLora, who's going to – he's a true freshman. Looks like he's going to start. He's familiar with the run and shoot, which Nick Vrolovich is going to bring in here. There's a new defensive coordinator that's going to change to a 4-2-5. You only have six returning starters. You have a thin defensive line, a thin defensive backfield. But I think Oregon State has much that the continuity factor here in the offseason and compared to all the changes that Washington State is going through. Plus, Oregon State last year faced Hawaii, which I think will help. So they faced the run and shoot. They prepped for it last year. Obviously, they're going to be prepping for it now. But I think that experience playing that type of offense that Rolovich 
is going to bring to wa- to Washington State helps. I like Oregon State. Anything under a field goal, I think they win this game. <laughs> that was in my notes too. I, that the the fact that Nick Rolovich faced Oregon State last season and beat him, I thought was to the advantage of Washington State because Nick Rolovich knows what he has to do to beat them. Uh, you know, he's bringing the run and shoot. Everything that you said, I mean, you you handicapped it front to back. I just think, first off, I am a very, very much a Nick Rolovich believer in the run and shoot. And if he's got somebody that's familiar with the offense, that's great too. They have the same amount of returning production as Oregon State. They're both over 80% on defense. But I thought Nick Rolovich's experience already against this Oregon State team, who I think has less talent, especially at the quarterback position they had last year, is a huge advantage the Cougs. So yeah, I, I think you and I will be opposite here, and uh, we, I'm glad we battle just, week. Yeah, I'm glad we got late night uh, Pac-12 back in our lives. Battle week, baby. All right, that'll wrap up the Pac-12. We'll have much more in the Pac-12 throughout the year. Starts at noon with a 9 a.m. local kick. It ends uh, after. It'll end after midnight Eastern. It's a beautiful thing. All right, before we go through best of the rest and go three and out, I do want to remind everyone of the Action Network podcast Tournament of Champions presented by BetMGM. It's live. It's been live all year. It's a free weekly Yahoo DFS tournament specifically for you, our podcast listeners. Uh, you can join simply by clicking the link on our episode description. No rake, completely free, just for our podcast listeners. The top 10 each week receive over $1,000 worth of Action Network prizes. The top five each week punch their ticket to the Wild Card Weekend Grand Finale, where you'll compete for the grand prize. A Las Vegas trip for two valued at over five G's, courtesy of BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. So, again, just join a free tournament every week. And if you miss one week, it's fine. You can join whenever you want uh, of every week of the NFL regular season. Just click on the link in our episode description. All right, uh, before we get to three and out, let's go through the best of the rest. We'll try to hit one game from every conference very quickly. But before we do that, we can't talk Service Academy Unders either because that game was canceled. But before we do anything, uh, we have to let Colin right now at BetMGM, Tennessee, one-and-a-half-point favorite at Arkansas, over under 52-and-a-half. The battle that you've had with Tennessee fans is you're hosting them now. You're a short home dog. Colin on Arkansas football. Woo, pig suey. Take it away. What's the bet here, if anything? Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Uh, yeah, I actually have not made a bet on this yet. I, I, I do not like Tennessee whatsoever. I like to go back to the time where uh, we had college game day in town. Uh, they uh, Lee Corso happily picked the Razorbacks, put the Rays, donned the hog, the, the boss hog head, picked Arkansas over Tennessee, Uh, We not only won that game, we covered that game. I go back to my roots in 1998, the excruciating loss of Clint Sterner laying the ball down on the field for the Tennessee defense to get it and for T. Martin to go on to win the national championship. Sterner lost the football! Oh my goodness! He stumbled and fumbled and Billy Rodlip recovered! I was so happy to have them to come to Fayetteville the next year where we tore down the goalpost after beating Tennessee. That was one of the wildest moments in my entire college career. All that set aside, uh, this game, I found a lot of flaws with both of these teams. Uh, You know, Arkansas is 13th in coverage, but they're dead last in tackling. So what does that tell you? 
it tells you there's a lot of effort. Barry Odom's got these guys overperforming and flying to the ball. They're 13th in coverage, dead last in tackling. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're not overly talented, but they are hustling for their coaching staff. And Arkansas is second and gets past explosiveness. Uh, that's a good number since they've already faced Ole Miss and Mississippi State Air Raid. And I just can't back the Tennessee side here at all. I mean, let's look at what Tennessee's done in the last 10 quarters. It's Docker. 91st in defensive passing success rate. Considering the pace and the, and the low success rate here, this could be an absolute punt fest. In my opinion, this will be an absolute punt fest. Uh, I don't think neither offense is able to take advantage. Uh, Arkansas, who is 5-0 and against the spread, only team that's played at least three games and is undefeated against the spread, Arkansas Razorbacks. That's why the entire world loves them. I'm definitely not back in Tennessee. I am going to have some money on Arkansas Moneyline, of course, but I think the better play here is the under, considering the offensive finishing drives for both teams, uh, considering Arkansas and Tennessee's offensive success rate. It's not pretty. Arkansas is playing inspired defense. I like the under here. Emotionally, I'll have plenty on the money line. Fair enough. Uh, we listened to Colin on Arkansas football. I don't even need to add my commentary. All right, let's, let's hit the AAC really quickly. This was – it's really sad we can't talk minor nation. Please still call in. UTEP canceled. That was one of the first sides I bet all weekend. AAC, a lot of big spreads here this weekend. I bet the most interesting game is Cincinnati, minus 13 and a half. I bet MGM over Houston, over under 54. Over That over under is coming down since the defense has been awesome. Stevenson, I think, is not going to play for Houston. That's big. Their offense was just messy last week. Uh, is Cincy getting too much love finally, or is it? Yeah. Still sincere or nothing here. Well, they are, but they're backing it up, right? Because Desmond, we've talked about this. Desmond Ritter is just breaking out, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure people that do power ratings or odds makers in Vegas are able to keep up with it. Desmond Ritter, uh, you know, is going up against the Houston defense. It's 101st in rushing success rate. So anytime Ritter leaves the pocket, could be breaking one. And Houston without Marquez Stevenson becomes a really hard sell for Houston. You know, since he's fifth in defensive passing success rate, so Clayton Toon now gets a less talented group of options to throw to uh against the Cincy defense is killing teams against the pass I would not I would be I mean the more I talk this out I haven't made the bet the more I talk this out I think I should be taking Cincinnati team total over I mean that's what they did last week against Memphis they covered that damn total all by themselves considering Houston's gonna go you know uh, they're either three and out or they're scoring a touchdown it's gonna give Cincinnati at least 15 or 16 possessions this game I might as well hit the Cincinnati team total over Fair enough. Let's move on to the Conference USA. UMass Marshall. Oh, boy. UMass plus 45 at Marshall. They are playing. They did get some more games in their schedule, over under 55 and a half. I'm not playing UMass. Maybe I'd play UMass at 48. That's about it. Um, That's your number? Yep. I'd play 48. My number is 42 and a half, so I'm definitely not buying the 40. No, no, no. I'm saying I would play 48. I'd make it like 43, 40 something. I'd, I'd play, if you gave me 48, I would take it. That's it. I'm not playing it at 44. I don't think I'm playing it at 48. Listen, Marshall, there's some sort of – there's an article out there I read that, like, Marshall and BYU were thinking about scheduling a game against each other. Like, just, you know, like a, like a college football playoff buster, you know? So, like, cool. Marshall does not not want to cover this game, right? You don't want that on your resume. Imagine if they do meet up with an undefeated G5 team just automatically scheduled, and the committee is going to sit there and say, God, Marshall allowed 21 points to UMass? They can't get in. So, I, there's, I don't know if there's a number I can take here. If you play under a Marshall, I think you maybe split it worse. Maybe Marshall wins like 38 nothing and they don't cover. Or maybe they win like 60 
nothing and they cover, but it goes over. We're like 60 to 10 or something. But then there's also a chance they win just like 51 nothing, and you hit both. I don't know. Ugly game. But the game I do want to talk about in Conference USA, Western Kentucky plus seven at FAU, over under 39 and a half. By the way, Western Kentucky, depending on the number you got against BYU, 0-7 against the spread. Uh, they have been an absolute dumpster fire. But I do want – this was the first actual bet I made in college football this weekend, and it was the under here. I played under 41, as crazy as that sounds, but I made it like – and I think you did too, like 37. Yeah. And that's in – there's also should be about 20 to 25-mile-an-hour winds down in Boca this weekend. And it's pretty easy to project because it looks like there's – going to be 20 to 25 mile an hour winds in Boca there has been all week and there's going to be for like the next five days it's like it's not just like a the random prediction of something that's going to happen on Saturday but if you look at these two teams neither of them have great quarterback play we know the Western Kentucky defense I don't think anyone are going to be able to throw it the Western Kentucky defense is a strike the team top 20 unit last year and a lot of advanced metrics been a little disappointing this year but they've been carrying the team the offense is just terrible and then you look at this Florida Atlantic team. I mean, their offense is dreadful, but their defense is playing very, very well. Why? Why is the question? They lost so much on that defense. Why is the defense playing well? Well, Jim Levitt. That's why. Jim Levitt is uh, one of the best defensive coordinators in college football, in my opinion. I think he's going to have a ton of success at Florida Atlantic. He runs basically – he runs essentially like a very basic 3-4. And when I say that basic, I mean from a coverage scheme perspective on the back end. Nothing too complicated. But he disguises his blitzes from the linebackers extremely well pre-snap. Sometimes both outside linebackers come, sometimes one. It's very confusing to a quarterback. Now, if you have a really, really smart quarterback who can diagnose what's going on and where the blitz is coming from at the time – you can have success throwing the ball against a Jim Levitt defense because this coverage is generally pretty simple on the back end. You need to diagnose the blitz. You obviously need some good protection as well. Well, guess who, what conference doesn't have a lot of very smart quarterbacks? Yeah, the Conference USA. And uh, they don't have elite quarterback play. And Western Kentucky certainly doesn't. So Pigram should struggle here as he has all year. And uh, but that's really with Florida Atlantic. They're, they've bunch of freshman contributors to the linebacker spot that defense is playing really well I think this is just an absolute shit fest like 17-7 I, I mean I don't think has any Florida Atlantic even got to 30 I don't I don't even think so um in total points uh I like the under here thoughts yeah I mean I projected it 37 I couldn't believe it when I read it I was like oh man I'm gonna post this out to the public and then you know thankfully enough the the, the board came out around what 44 and it's flown down to 39 uh so you know and there's reasons for that seconds per play these teams rank 78th and 83rd explosiveness it ain't really there uh you know there's a lot of things going on here there's 20 mile an hour per winds uh that's all pushing into one end zone so you're gonna think it's gonna be tough sledding for the passing game once i realized what was going on with the winds uh about how strong they're gonna be it made me think well who's the more dominant rush team and if you look at that FAU runs 63% of the time and Western Kentucky runs 51% of the time. So definitely Florida Atlantic is the more heavy rush team and they're 11th in the nation in rush explosiveness. You look at Western Kentucky, 
They're 62nd in rush explosiveness, 63rd in rushing success rate. So I think this is a huge spot for Florida Atlantic. I think Jim Levitt's not been talking, not been talked about enough. I mean, considering what he was like four years ago in the college football landscape for resurrecting the Colorado program uh, as a defensive coordinator, uh, and how much like Oregon was willing to like dole out in cash to keep him around, uh, it's a really big deal that he's down there right now. So uh, I took Florida Atlantic minus six and a half. Uh, I don't know if that's going to stick. It's a game I actually project a couple points lower, but I just don't think it's going to go a couple points lower. Uh, Florida Atlantic, the Jim Livid effect is being is shown. They're fourth in the nation and graded uh, in PFF grading for tackling. Uh, so, yeah, and they're eighth in, in defensive finishing drives. So definitely Florida Atlantic here for me. Uh, a play on team against inefficient offenses and quarterbacks in Conference USA from here on out. Yeah, yeah amazing what Levitt's done uh, with his scheme when a defense had lost a ton. I had someone, a podcast listener, say he, he loyal listener, he loves our podcast, and he has kids that go to Liberty. He loves me to talk about Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. So we haven't been talking about Liberty a lot this year. They're ranked 6-0. and It was only through prayer and divine intervention that this university has become what it is today. We want you to remember that always. Uh, plus 14.5 at Bedham Gym, over under 67.5, going to VaTech this week, who's not ranked. Let's get a Liber- little Liberty commercial plug in. Any, any thoughts? Uh, Liberty Vatek? Nothing on the side. I actually projected 14 and a half where the number is, but I project the total to be 61. So I think it's 67 and a half. It definitely deserves a little bit of under action. These two teams, 94th and 93rd in seconds per play. Virginia Tech defense is getting healthier. Liberty, amazingly enough, is 22nd in the nation in tackling. Uh, I think it's going to be enough defensive effort with two extremely rush heavy teams, 62%. For Liberty, 67% for Virginia Tech. The national average for rushing rates like 54%. Two heavy rush teams, two slow teams, some good tackling here. You know, inefficient offensive finishing drives. Give me an under. Oak State, Kansas State, do you have anything there? Kansas State, 12.5 point home dog. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to pull the trigger on pull the trigger on Kansas State. There are certain things in the – I know we've talked about Oklahoma State and how much defense and how much we love them. Uh, but Kansas State – Remember, they're they're pretty they're a pretty easy handicap. They're an extremely offensive, explosive team. Oklahoma State right now, the only deficiency they have on their defense is their 64th and opponent pass explosiveness. So Kansas State, I'm afraid, Will Howard is they're you know Deuce Vaughn. I think that they're going to have explosive plays and give Oklahoma State a lot of trouble. Now it's a game that I line at 11, but there's other things in here that would make me nervous if I'm Oklahoma State. I mean, Kansas State is number one in the nation in special teams. That purely comes from one of the, you know, one of the best coaches in the nation. So, yeah, I, I, I'm i kind of waiting. It's at a dead number, uh, you know, 12 and a half. I'm not going to buy that. i definitely take a little 13. But I like Kansas State to give Oklahoma State a little bit of a scare here. Before we get to three and out, Sun Belt. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. We'll get to Georgia Southern later. Uh I'll be the clown if you want to join the circus at noon on ESPNU and Arkansas State plus 14. We'll be losing money again on them. Broad podcast promise. Bobs, we haven't talked about the Bobs. They've been there one in seven. They're catching 20 at home against App State. Any appetite there? For App State and Texas, this is a game that I line at App State minus 20 and a half. So I was happy to take, you know, the Mountaineers at, at 16 and a half earlier this week. 17, I would still suggest. 17 and a half, probably play it for a little bit less. You know, the Mountaineers are 11th in rushing success rate and run 66% of the time. Uh, and, and that's just something that Texas State's not going to be able to deal with. I, I just don't think they're in the same class as Appalachian State. 
Uh, and plus on the defensive side, they're, you know, they're fifth in tackling. Texas State is 94th in Havoc allowed on offense. That's not a good combination against an Appalachian State team that is sixth in defensive Havoc. I think there are mistakes waiting for the Bobs to make. That's going to help get App State to the window. We got to get a shout out for the chance. And our guys at the chance and, and uh, chance free money again this week, or are they just too? It's too the rebellious? second week in a row where they're just, uh, I mean, they're overpriced, right? Or either, either I can't catch up with them. No one can catch up with them or odds makers are just setting them at a number because they know that that coastal Carolina money's coming in. It has been a public sharp. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody's betting coastal Carolina. That's why this number is way outside any power rating you've seen. And, and they're proving it everywhere. I mean, they're, they're, they're so good in, in, in so many of their numbers. Uh, they haven't really had anybody expose them on the ground. They, they can be ran against. Nobody's really exposed that yet. So that's not going to happen this week with South Bama. I, I agree with you on paper. All right, uh, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, we got to do Friday Night Lights. We already talked Boise and BYU, which is the big one everyone will be watching. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. But we also have Miami. Miami's still playing. I, I can't remember the last time they played a football game. Or I watched. Like, who have they played? They played – the last time Miami played was October 24th. Oh, that Virginia game. That game was awful when they won 19-14. Miami, 10.5-point favorites at NC State, still without their starting quarterback, uh, Leary. And then the other game, San Jose State. At San Diego State, uh, this is a battle of two two and O teams. San Jose State catching nine and a half. Uh, any thoughts or feel on one or both of these? Yeah, I'll have a write up on both of these out on Action Network. I suggest everybody go take a look at them. Uh, I'll be brief on both of them because I'd encourage you to go uh, read about them. The Miami NC State game. The return of tight end Brevin Jordan is key. They didn't have him against Virginia. It showed they had problems in, in scoring uh, opportunities. Uh, he's second on the team in third down targets. Uh, he's a great blocking back. 33% of the time, Miami's lining up in 12 personnel. And that, you know, he was, he was really missed. He's a big part of that offense. I expect their issues with scoring opportunities to be resolved with him back on the field. Miami's defense, defensive havoc is 16th, and, and they're 22nd in opponent passing success rate. I think that all plays into, uh, you know, a part of the handicap here. Um, you know, the pace is top 30 for both of these teams. Miami's top 25 in finishing drives. Uh, I like a first half over here. I think I think Miami with 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 tight end uh, Brevin Jordan back, they're going to be able to put some points up on the board. Uh, we'll see if NC you know NC State, who's what eighty fourth in defending explosive plays. Uh, we'll see if they can contribute some points. But I like the first half over. As far as San Jose State and San Diego State, man, I wrote about them a couple times this week. Mostly they were the center of the the beginning of the havoc piece because San Jose State is number one in the country in havoc allowed on offense. And San Diego State's number one in the country defensively uh, in Havoc. Uh, so it should be a pretty good showdown here. Um, so I would suggest going out, reading the article that's going to come out on, on the picks for this game. Brady Hoke is doing a CEO job, kind of like Sam Pittman at Arkansas, where Kurt Maddox is doing some really good things as defensive coordinator. And Jeff Hekinski, uh, he has changed the Aztecs' offense. Yes, they're still running the ball a lot, but they have become electric and vertical like he predicted uh, way back uh, in March. So go out and read those pieces, and uh, there'll be some picks in there. All right, let's move to the second down. That's our favorite overdog. It's called the overdog parlay. I have two that I have thought of here. Let's get some, some Price is Right music going. 
Oklahoma, 38-point favorite against Kansas at home. I don't know who's betting Kansas in this spot. Is the price right here too high, too low? What do you got? Come on I'd down, say, I'd say come on down. I got this projected at 40, and Kansas has some of the worst defensive marks. They're UMass territory. Uh, they can't do anything. They can't tackle. They can't defend. Oklahoma's going to run this up. Price is right. Next up, Mr. Michael Leach. This is one I was thinking of. Mississippi State let me down last week. And, again, they probably should have covered. They throw a touchdown pass to cover. They cut it to, like, 20. It, the linebacker for Alabama, the bounce, he wasn't even looking. It bounced into his hand, and then Alabama went the other way and scored a touchdown. Miserable. But Vanderbilt is so bad. The Mississippi State defense is actually playing well. I think Mississippi State just needs a game where they just want to get right. And, I mean, it's been so bad since that one of those start. 19 and a half against Vandy. Yeah, Cowbell, come on down. This is your week to get it done. I project this 24. Uh so definitely some room to work with here. And I think there's a lot of negativity uh, from the betters on you. But Tola, Vanderbilt is a get healthy game. All right. And last one, Penn State, 25-point favorites against Maryland. We saw Maryland and Tua's brother, <laughs> because I'm not in the mood to pronounce the name today. And I don't want to butcher it. Uh, we saw Maryland with that awesome win over Minnesota. Penn State, 0-2. Do they give up on this season? Do they come out and take out their anger on Maryland? Is the line too high? James Franklin and Nittany Lions, thoughts? Uh, Talia Tagovailoa, he actually, you know, was able to have multiple explosive runs and broken plays. And, you know, he had that little spin move going on. I, I think the number is spot on. I have it at 25. It's listed at 24 and a half. So Penn State, you can stay down in Bitter's Row. Your, uh, your showcase showdown can wait a little bit. Fair enough. All right, that'll wrap up Price's Right Overdog segment. Before we get out of here, one last thing to do. Third down, Colin. It's the underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. I'm going with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish with Brian Kelly. Don't let me down. And if you're down 10 late, you better get that last touchdown. My prediction is Notre Dame wins and they end up losing the ACC championship game. And we might. See both in the college football playoff. Colin, you're running on underdog? Yeah, I'm going to go with George Southern. Uh, I think that this is a very harsh transition for a Troy defense to go from an Arkansas State spread passing attack and seven days later try to defend the triple option. Uh, I don't. I did not read any reports whatsoever that Troy had been preparing for this game uh, in the summer. Uh, of course, nobody was preparing in the spring. Um, I think that this is a really bad situation for Georgia Southern. There was plenty of steam uh, that actually hit Troy in the market here, but I think it's, you know, I make this game a pick. uh, So I'm going to play it out that way. And I think Georgia Southern has a monster advantage with the triple option, especially a week after they face such a different offense. Uh, So, you know, Give me, give me Georgia Southern and, uh, and hopefully we cash this one. I I went too big last week with the air force. I felt pretty good at 14 to seven. And uh, it really didn't turn out well. So you might, I might not see any more double-digit uh, underdogs from here on out. I can't believe we're not taking Illinois. Minnesota has put up the worst defensive numbers since, like, UMass played in 2019. Neither of us took Illinois. I know there's a COVID outbreak and Peters is in quarantine. Too much, I don't, the Big Ten is crazy. I don't I, All this COVID news, I can't keep up. Uh, plus Notre Dame. Hell Southern and Notre Dame. It feels good. I do have one last order of business. Every week, you guys leave five-star reviews on the podcast. I'm going to choose one, like, funny one, and I'm going to choose one, like, legit one. So leave a legit five-star review. And then one, you can reference other things. But we like some legit ones, too, here. And then we'll send you some gear and stuff. The first one I'll send, and I'll pick two every week, but 
I've been saying I'm going to pick some. So I'll pick two on the NFL podcast next week as well, and then two more on the college podcast. We'll do two a week. All right, the serious one, five-star review from Dexter. Uh, you know you are. Oh, my producer, reach out. Best sports gambling podcast out there right now. It's not even close. We appreciate you. And, and we'll go with uh, Pete Kunkel, an excellent betting adventure each and every podcast. I don't listen for Colin's first half Big Ten unders. And definitely not for <laughs> UMass takes. I listen to know that the best way to spice up a Saturday night is to back meet meet live and have my heart torn from my chest. Keep it coming. So we'll head out to there. I'll do two more on the NFL podcast and then two more and two more. Ah, we'll do it over now. Chi-Town Buckeyes 5. The information is impeccable. The content's hilarious. The voicemails are beyond amazing. This is the best podcast in gambling for the best company in the sports betting business. Besides Rovell, the Action Network is perfect, completely perfect. God bless you both and the amazing team. All right. Uh, and then someone, the Jake144 for UMass within an ASS. Love the pod. Let's do it every time a new one comes out. But UMass, wreck my world. I'm also an XXL if you want to follow through that sweatshirt deal. If I were in Lexington, you'd owe me enough bourbon to sink a battleship. Go Big Blue. Thanks for the content. Yeah. Uh, drinks are always on me, brother. Thanks, guys, for the reviews. Leave some more. Unsubscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Voicemails this weekend. We need you. Minor Nation. Bo Nick season. They might not be around. They might not call in. Light up the voicemail. Let's have a winning weekend. We'll catch you all on Monday morning with Football Weekend Recap. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.